Welcome to Ready, Set, Gov. We are at the BGA's annual luncheon. It's a special year. It's our 95th anniversary. And that milestone aside, it's also special because we have some great guests and a great conversation. So without further ado, I'm going to pass it to our ex-president and CEO, Andy Shaw, who's sitting down with Al Hunt from Bloomberg News and anchor of PBS NewsHour, Judy Woodruff. Over the summer, I was on the golf course with a guy I play with up in Michigan. High school grad, blue collar, drives a delivery truck, voted for Trump, knows my background, and said to me one day in the pro shop, he said, you know, for the first time in my life, I don't know what to believe. Meaning, as he tried to follow the news. And, and let me ask you, if you had been in that pro shop that day and Brad had said that to you, what would you have told him? What would you have told him, Judy? And you know exactly where he's coming from. Well, it's a, it's a perfect question, Andy. Um, and I'm going to do the politician's thing right now. I have to say, um, if there's anybody I'm going to believe, it's going to be Newt Minow. And anybody who is supportive of Newt Minow. Newt, where are you? I know you recognized him a minute ago, but I want to I call out uh, Newt Minow, who... who's been a hero of mine and of Al's for, for many, many years. And Chicago is so blessed and so fortunate to have Newt. This is a room full of people, I would believe. May I say that? You've got extraordinary journalists working for you every day at the BGA. You, Andy, now succeeded by David. Um, but it is the question we need to be asking. Because today we are being challenged every day, every hour, we at the news hour, other uh, serious news organizations, to figure out what do, what do we report, what do we know we can count on is true, at least at this moment, what can we, what can we uh, back up with facts, with information, evidence, and what shouldn't we? And it's never been coming at us at a faster rate than it is today. And we are called on to make those decisions and my philosophy is, and it's one that I've shared with the entire NewsHour staff is, all we can do is try our best. We know that we're committed to trying to get at the truth. We may not be able to get at it every single day, every single night, but just we are moving in that direction. Uh, and to continue to hold our sources of information, to, to hold our reporting to a high standard, has to drive everything we do. And so um, there are moments today when we want to throw our hands up in the air and say, where do we go with this? Do we, should we even report this? But we have to keep reporting. We have to keep trying. We have to keep that goal in mind that informing the American people is fundamental to this democracy. And that is what our mission is. Al, you now do it from the uh, written analyst point of view. You did it as a broadcaster for many years. Um, what would you have said to Brad if he'd said, what do I believe? Well, first you draw an important distinction. I now write an opinion column, and that is different. There's a place for opinion columns, and there are place, there's a place for news pages, and they should not be intertwined. They are quite different. It's a really difficult question, particularly today, because no matter what you say, 30% of the people aren't going to believe you. Uh, we, have a, we live in a polarized community. A lot of things have contributed to that. The breakdown of political parties, money in politics, 
Uh, for all the good the internet has done, that certainly has contributed to the polarization. I teach a course at University of Pennsylvania and we'll make that point and these young people will say, no, we know how to distinguish. Well, you do, but the welder in Toledo doesn't have time to surf and spend a lot of time. So it's an incredibly difficult question, but the challenge for all of those in serious news coverage, BGA, New York Times, Bloomberg, NewsHour, is don't be intimidated by critics. Uh, keep doing it, do it honestly, and be trans as transparent as you possibly can. Well, that begs the question, which is, you both have spent collectively 80 years Thanks, building Andy. up... Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he spent more of that than I did. me, we've got, more than, we've got more than 100 years of trying to build credibility and trust with audiences in one way or another. Yeah. And you two are arguably the first couple of Washington news coverage. And yet... You've been branded with this enemy of the people label and purveyors of fake news. And I'm just wondering, to what extent does that shake your ability to feel connected to your audiences when questions like believability keep coming up? Have you had to change the way you do your job to, to reestablish your credibility? Well, it makes my blood boil when I hear the term, when I hear anybody say that the press, the people I know that I've spent my life with, working with, people I work alongside, many of whom have literally overseas and in this country put their lives, their, their working life on the line to report the news and to report it faithfully and truthfully, to hear those people called enemies of the American people, it's, it's more than I can bear. Having said that, we cannot ever let it interfere with the work we do. I don't think it serves us well to get into a contest with the president or any other political leader who is going after the press. Um, the best thing we can do is to report, report faithfully, get, gather the facts, call out our political leaders when they say things that are not factual, that are not borne out by evidence. It's our job to call them out, not necessarily to call them liars. I don't think, you know, we can't put ourselves inside someone's head, but we can say when something cannot be borne out. And that's what we need to do. We need to put one foot in front of the other, do our work, and eventually, I think, that will be recognized. Yeah, right now, we're going through a tough and time. You, Al, have, and you, Al, it's not, sure. this is, first of all, this is not new. It's worse than ever, but it's not new. Um, I mean, we all love to cite, we in the press love to cite Thomas Jefferson. I, I didn't cover Jefferson, but um, <laughs> look at what Jefferson said about the press when he was president versus what he said about the press in right. 1776. I don't know how many people here are old enough to remember the nattering nabobs of negativism. Spiro Agnew. Spiro T. Pass the envelope, uh, please, Agnew. Uh, I mean, it was, it was really harsh in those days. It's worse today because it's, it's chronic, it's perpetual. This president, frankly, doesn't care about the truth. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. We were talking at our table, it'd be a headline to say, Trump tells truth. Uh, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it doesn't bother him. But... I don't think, I agree with Judy, you can't be affected by it, you can't be bothered by it, and look, I mean, the really, really good news organizations, the NewsHour, the New York Times website, the Washington Post, Bloomberg, audiences are up. They are up significantly. So there are people who right. care, there are people who are 
uh, I, I think, uh, aware of this. And you can't worry about the fact that you're going to offend some people. But you have a nice niche doing your columns because you get to basically push back in some ways. I know you were talking about the Kavanaugh hearings and the Gorsuch appointment. You, you noted that they were so similar, the two, the two nominees. They both went to Georgetown Prep. And you had a line that's worth repeating. You said, President Trump promised to drain the swamp but he wasn't even able to empty the Georgetown prep swimming pool. <laughs> so I think in a way, you, ab among many other opinion writers, get a chance to put on the boxing gloves and enter the ring, which is something, Judy, you can't do. I mean, you won't let yourself do that. No, that's right. I mean, we do invite people on the program to uh, certainly to analyze the news every Friday night. Thank goodness uh, Mark Shields and David Brooks are with us to analyze. Uh, Amazing. We are so blessed to have them, so fortunate. We have others who come on regularly. And yes, we have people come on representing the Trump administration, representing the Republican Party, representing the Democratic Party. But I, for the news hour, our audience doesn't look to me or to any of our correspondents to express our views. That's left to others. A quick, a quick question relating to topical uh, answer, if you please or not. And I'll ask you first, Al, as, a com as an analyst, um, an opinion writer, uh, midterms, outcome. Democrats win the House. Uh, they fall short in the Senate. They pick up as many as eight or ten governorships, including uh, Illinois, and significantly, which will get much less attention, probably four or five hundred, if not more, state legislative seats. But not the Senate. Not the Senate. I think that's, that's too much of a reach. There's and if I may follow up then, what, what happens in that second two years of the Trump administration with the House if, in fact, it's a Democratic majority? Do they start impeachment proceedings? Do they recall witnesses in a Kavanaugh case? What happens? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> other than the fact that Judy gets a lot more guests for the news hour. First of all, I think it would be a, a huge, massive mistake to rush into impeachment. Uh, I mean, let's see what Bob Mueller comes up with to begin with. This is as good a special counsel as has ever lived, and let's see what he comes up with. Uh, secondly, impeachment, I was talking to Jill earlier, who's an expert on this. It is a political process. It is, you know, and we saw one time in 1974 where they, they took it seriously, albeit a political process, and did it well. We saw another time in 1988 when it was quite the contrary. So to rush into it would be a huge mistake. To try to replicate the outrageous, just fraudulent investigations that the Devin Nunezes and the Trey Gowdies have put on would be a mistake. On the other hand, there is a lot of fertile territory. I mean, this is a, I wish, I, what BGA does in Chicago and Illinois is so important. I w and I know you began in the Capone era, so I wish you could replicate yourselves on the national level because boy, we need a Capone era investigative uh, unit in Washington. But, but, but you have to do it carefully. You have to do it carefully, and I hope Democrats, if they win the House, are more mature about it uh, than, uh, than the Republicans. Do you want to predict, Judy? I'm not going to predict, but I, I say all signs do point to Democrats taking back the House. I mean, that's where it looks right now. There will be some kind of a blue wave in the House, and we'll see what they do with it. I think Al's absolutely right on the governorships. Democrats are clearly going to... They were so far behind. They have, what is it, only 18, 19, 16 governorships out of 50 states, so they have nowhere to go but up. Uh, the Senate is tough. Uh, I think it would take some real churn in the last three weeks. We are today three weeks from the election. Uh, people are already voting, uh, and it looks tough. 
One more predictive question. Any sense of what the outcome of the Mueller investigation is going to lay out in front of the American people and perhaps courts of law? I have never, I've been in Washington a long time, not Jefferson, but a long time. Uh, and I have never seen anything like Bob Mueller's shop that leaks as little, if at all. Uh, it is absolutely almost leak proof. Uh, so I, I know, we know Bob Mueller, we don't know him well. Uh, one of our dearest friends is very close to him. He doesn't know any hang, except what he does say is, knowing all the people on that team, I would not want to be under investigation by them. Uh, and so I, my guess is there's, my guess, this is speculation, there's a lot of material out there. There's a lot of material. And that Bob Mueller will not come out and say, it's, it's all clean. And Judy, you've interviewed almost everybody around that circle, people right. on the hot seat, people who pled guilty, others close. Right. Any sense of where, what they're going to come up with? Or do you agree that it's been so tight, it's hard to predict? It is very hard to predict. We, you know, we talk to the very smartest people who are watching this. As Al said, the people who are closest to what's going on don't talk. Uh, so there's just a whole lot of speculation. Um, we know what they're looking at. We know generally uh, what direction they may be going in. But uh, I think we're, we're foolish to try to, to try to predict. I will say this, that whatever they come out with, the more serious it is, I think clearly, clearly the more pushback there is going to be from the Trump White House, from the Trump administration. We've been seeing them lay the groundwork for this, for undermining the credibility of the Mueller team, the Mueller investigation. And I think that that's already kicked into, into gear. It's gonna kick into even higher gear as we get closer to some sort of uh, conclusion of whatever he's Something, working you on. You raised an issue earlier, David alluded to it in his talk. It was the typewriter giving way to the tweets and um, the news cycle has given way to a news cyclone as somebody wrote a profile on you pointed out. And you, had, you said something very interesting in one of the profiles. You said that you could not keep up with today's young women reporters. And I found that to be astonishing. Are you talking about just the technology or some other qualities that they have that you don't think you do? You mean just the fact that they're a lot younger than I am? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I mean, the fact is that the, the younger reporters, and thank goodness we have a number of them working for us on the news hour. You see them on the air every day from uh, Lisa Desjardins to uh, Yamiche Alcindor, uh, Amna Nawaz, and so many others who are off camera who you, who you don't see who are working behind the scenes. They are, it's in their DNA to know how to connect with not just the internet, but social media. It just comes naturally to them. I do it. I enjoy doing it. You but do your I own tweeting? Not, I do. In fact, I've tweeted a couple of, uh, I've already congratulated Christy uh, on Twitter, and I said how thrilled I was to be here at, at your 95th anniversary event. But um, to answer your question, I can't possibly be as fast at it and as good at it as my younger colleagues. Um, and, but, I'm, but I'm trying. And why? Because it matters. It's the way we today reach our audience. The news hour goes out. Most of us, I mean, I watch television. A lot of people today are watching the news hour on Apple TV, on YouTube, on other forums. They're watching it. They're coming at it from Twitter, from Facebook. Uh, and I could give you a whole list of platforms which we now consider essential to push the news hour out on in order to reach that young And Al, as a fellow hey, dinosaur, how, I've taken a lot. I have to say, she's dead wrong. She's dead wrong. There is no young woman reporter who's better than Judy Woodruff. So I <laughs> no. totally, totally, totally disagree. Uh, 
Uh, and I also want to say one of the great things, though, that's happened in our business versus the dark ages when I got into it, there were very few women back then. And now to look at newsrooms, to look on television, not as much on the executive suite, to be sure. There are, you know, we are, we are doing so much better than we used to do. I sat with a young woman, uh, Madison, who broke that story about you know, waste management and just as an inspiration. I also want to say something for, for, the, for the men, though. I have some of my colleagues here, former colleagues, Jim Kirk and Flynn McRoberts and John McCormick, and they're, they're not bad either. The Bloomberg table. <laughs> but things have really changed. The Me Too movement has certainly shaken up the news business and the yep. television business and many others. And I couldn't help but smile when I read a quote from you you were talking about having met Judy in 1976. Oh, boy. And, Here we go. <laughs> and you were in companion telephone booths, and you happened to notice her legs. And then you found her later. And I'm wondering, I asked you this before the luncheon to make sure it was okay. Um, would, you, would, you, would you do that? Would you, would you be talking about that sort of thing Would today? I tell the story today? No. No, I wouldn't. But, but, but in my defense, it's not as, quite as bad as it looks. It was Steubenville, Ohio. I mean, I remember the first time I saw, imagine how romantic, Steubenville, Ohio. And it was, a, it was a, one of those partition phone booths. And I was talking to my editor and arguing about a story, and I couldn't see anything but the person next to me, legs, that's all I could see. And they left on the other side, and I was curious as to who it was. Maybe a little more than curious. And so that's how I rushed under the bus and asked Sam Donaldson. Uh, who that? Well, compared to Sam, he's you treading were, very carefully right I am now. Really, I'm really nervous <laughs> I'm sure now. Sam's stories are much worse. Uh, let me pick up on something Christy said when Christy talked about Voice for America and her her concern about what's going. I'm just asking, as as people who watch this all so closely, I see I see the threads of democracy tattered in some ways. I see perilous times in some ways. I'm wondering, do you worry about? the future of the country, or should we just chalk it up to a lot of bombast that really doesn't change much in terms of the evolution of our country? I think there's, there's reason today to pay serious attention to what's being said and what's being done, as there would be with any president, any administration. But I think there are decisions being made today. There are statements being made today. There's division going on in the country today that should give us all serious concern, and I know it does. Um, somebody asked me at the reception before the lunch today, how much do you worry about whether, how the country's gonna do? And my answer is, my, I'm eternally an optimist, that's just by nature, but the reason I believe we're gonna be okay is because of the American people. The character of the American people has gotten us through a lot worse than today. I mean, we don't even wanna think about the Civil War, the Vietnam War period. We've been through some really, really rough periods in this country and we've come through them, why? because there's just something extraordinary. It doesn't mean that, um, that we're not gonna continue to go through tough times, but, uh, and, and it doesn't mean we've gotta find a way to heal. We've got a lot of healing to do right now. We are, you travel around the country, you talk to people, families are divided. I talk to so many people who say they can't get together for the holidays because one side of the family can't talk to the other. Uh, we've, got, we've got real work to do, and so, Every American has a responsibility. But do I ultimately believe we're gonna get through this? I do, that's who we are, it defines us as Americans, but it's gonna take time. Al, I, I worry a little bit more. Um, I, I worry a little bit more because I think, um, I think there are people who aren't standing up for the rule of law. Uh, I go back to the 1973, 74 era, 
And we, we should never forget, you know, not just the Sam Irvins and the Peter Rodinos, but it was the Barry Goldwaters and the Howard Bakers and the Hugh Scotts and the Bill Cohens and the Tom Railsbacks who said the rule of law matters more than political party. And I just don't see, the, the only people who are doing that today are people who, John McCain unfortunately died, uh, Jeff Flake is getting out of, uh, out of politics. So I worry about that a lot, and I don't know how that's going to play out over the next year or two. I, I guess I probably come down the same place that Judy does, because in the end, one of my heroes of all times, and it was Newton Minow's lifetime friend, and he married us, was the late Abner J. Mikva, another great Chicago uh, person. And Ab, you know, every time I would talk to Ab and talk about, you know, boy, this is really bad, he would just say simply, don't forget, it's always darkest before dawn. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, dawn, better come soon. <laughs> uh, one more prediction question. Um, we know, in, barring unforeseen circumstances, that Trump will run for re-election. Do you have a... You have a horse in the Democratic race, not that you're backing, but that you see emerging to the top of the pack? Well, yeah, because I'm so good at this. I would have come here in 1974 and I'd said, you know something, you guys talk about people like Henry Jackson, Ned Muskie, but there's this peanut farmer from Georgia who's going to just blow by him. You know, he really is. And I, in 06, I said, Hillary, get out. Because I'm sorry, a guy named Barack Hussein Obama is going to just blow by you. And, in four, and four years ago, if we'd been out here, I'd have said, you know, <laughs> Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush, no way. No, I have not the slightest idea. <laughs> it, will be a, it will be a huge field. That's not a bad It'll idea be. at all. Obama beat a really talented big field. Reagan beat a very talented and big And Trump field. had a huge field against Yeah, him. I don't know how talented it was, yeah. but it was huge. <laughs> and um, no, I, I, don't, I really don't. Judy, a thought? Uh, you want me to tell you who's going to win? I mean, who's going to win the Democratic? Sure. Oh, we, I'll tell you right after. We, oh, we'll, okay. I'll pull you. Aside. <laughs> no, but I agree with that. It's going to be about 20 or 25 Democrats. Every, practically everybody you run into on the street comes up and says, you know, I'm running for president. We have the same thing in our mayor's race here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, I, don't, I'm, I think I'm the only person that I know who's not actually running for mayor. But Anyway, but so let me ask you a question about something more serious that you both alluded to. Um, what can we do about the polarization? Is, is there a route out of that, or is it going to take a change in the dialogue that will... Uh, it's unlikely to happen during the Trump years because this is how he operates. But do we need to return to, quote-unquote, a kinder, gentler time when presidents followed more of the normal protocol, the, the decorum of the office, or is it going to take a lot more than that? To restore a healthy democracy where the two sides can work on things collaboratively and actually get them done for the American people. You're right, Andy. It starts at the very top. But I think there are, there are plenty of opportunities for other political leaders to set a good example, to show us how to get things done by working across the aisle. Doesn't mean you don't have serious disagreements, but you can model, you can show that you can figure out a solution. You can come together on some important issue. Republicans and Democrats can work together. We need more demonstrations of that than what we've had. Do I see that on the immediate horizon? No, but it's within those people in Washington and around the country and here in Chicago and every state capital and every major city to do that. So we need more modeling of it and we need to do it inside ourselves because today what we have is we have individual Americans who are taking sides 
in a, in a way that they, they say, I don't want my team to work with the other side. That is what's new. And that's what I think we've really got to work on. I have a two-part question. Can for, I just pick sure, up on that? Please. Because it, it goes to two of my very favorite stories, which I don't think could happen today in politics. One was in 1978, the Panama Canal treaties came up. Jimmy Carter sends the Panama Canal treaties up to the Senate. The public opposes it by three to one. The Republican Party opposes it by four to one. It has to get a two-thirds vote. It can't do that without the Senate Republican leader, Howard Baker, who's going to run for the presidential nomination. I mean, there was nothing. Can you imagine Mitch McConnell saying, I'll do it for my country? Howard Baker delivered the Panama Canal treaties for Jimmy Carter, and the whole continent was a lot better off and safer because of that. The second one was 1980, 1980 election. Ronald Reagan not only wins, a bit of a surprise, but in a shock, the Republicans take control of the Senate. So we were in a lame duck session, December 1980. Senator Edward M. Kennedy has appointed a young, or has nominated or tapped a young Judiciary Committee aide named Stephen Breyer for a Court of Appeals. It's got to be dead, right? Republicans have just taken over the Senate. There's no way in the world they're going to go and give the Democrats an important appellate court. And, and Teddy goes to Strom Thurmond and says, this one really matters. You know Steve, you know, he's not. and Thurmond pushes it through in a lame duck session. Can you imagine any of that happening today? And until we get to that point again, until we get to some civility and relationships, uh, you know, I'm very pessimistic uh, that, that anything is gonna change. Trump is clearly, you know, a huge aggravator, but he's not the only problem. Some states it works, some places it works, you're not a very good example here in Illinois. Uh, but uh, but, but I, I think it's going to take a long time. Can we ever get good government without getting all the money out of politics, which seems to corrode and pollute most of what happens? No. Judy? I think it's very tough. And I don't, I, don't, I mean, to answer that question is, is very tough because there are, people give money for good reasons, too, and uh, they give money for... <laughs> For, for personal, you know, to, to feather their own nest. And so people, how do you change the system that now thrives on money? You have a Supreme Court decision that says you can give as much as you want. Um, and and I, I don't see how we turn that around. And, and the only offset, Andy, is citizen involvement. I mean, when Beto O'Rourke raises $38 million in a quarter, and that's not coming from fat cats, I can promise you. That's an incredible amount. So the, to the extent that you can offset that insidious influence of money, and it is insidious, it absolutely is, the idea of citizen participation, you know, after you give to BGA, give to a candidate that you really think is worthy. Should we have mobile voting? Voting with mobile I think phones? we should make voting as easy as possible. People need to be able to participate uh, in whatever way they can. If they're citizens, if, they are, if they're eligible, they should be able to vote. There shouldn't be a barrier. I'm getting the hook sign, which, <laughs> which all of us in television running by know. Listen, before, listen, thank you very much. We could do this for, for an hour or two, and I know you're going to be around Chicago a couple more appearances. Incredible uh, honor, Andy, and I just want to once again say what a remarkable organization BGA is. Congratulations for everything you did to build it to where it is today. Congratulations to David and your extraordinary team. Thank you so much. The last word, takeaway gift is our shining a light on government pen. You shine it in people's eyes. Do it on the news hour. Um, you could shine That's it right. in Michael Bloomberg's eyes. At some point. <laughs> did you get one to, to Rahm and the gubernatorial candidate? I can't remember if I've ever given. Thank you both so very much, and thank you all for your attention.
Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ready, Set, Gov, a production of the Better Government Association. If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps people find this podcast. For more information about us, go to bettergov.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get future Ready, Set, Gov episodes. We put out a new one every few weeks and occasionally some special episodes. Our production team includes Madeline Dubeck, Rachel Levin, Anam Hather, Mia Sato, Starlin Matheny, and Patrick Judge, with audio production by Mix Kitchen.